with you. Open up to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. I want to hopefully extend a, a challenge. It's a challenge that the, that the Lord extended to me earlier this week. And why should I be the only one? I might as well share it with you guys. And that, that challenge is this concept. When I came to Jesus Christ as my Savior, I, I looked to Him to rescue me, to save me from a life that was sideways and make sense of it all. And oftentimes we come to Him as Savior. I want to know if He is also your Lord Well, we often put those two phrases together. He's my Lord and Savior, but words are cheap. Words are cheap. Lord, is he he your Lord? A lot of times when we come to the Lord and we we find a place for God in my life. God, I got a place for you. It's this corner right here. And I'm going to make it up real nice for you. You know, I'm going to clean it all up nice and spiffy. And I'm going to put you in that place. This is... Your place, God, I've made a place for you. I cut out a niche for you in my life. God's not satisfied with that. He doesn't want a place in our life. He wants our lives placed in him. Our lives placed at his feet. Are we making a place for God in our life? Do we have a place for Him? Or are we giving Him our life? Is He really our Lord? Or is He just our Savior? The one who saves? Or is He the one to whom we, the reason why we live, why we do the things we do? Because if He is, He's our Lord. If not, the challenge is, are you willing to make Him Lord? In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21, he lays out a challenge for us all. As he begins to turn the focus, we've been looking at the book of Ephesians, and Ephesians chapter 1, 2, and 3 lay out for us our wealth in the Lord, all the things that we have in Christ Jesus. And it's amazing. Every once in a while, you should go back over it and, and just read through all the things that we have in Christ He lays out that wealth, and then he says, Now, therefore, because of that wealth that you've been given, walk worthy, walk of equal weight, walk. Imitate your Father as dear children. Imitate Jesus Christ in our walk. He he calls us to a walk of unity, a walk of love. He calls us to, to walk in purity. He calls us to walk in wisdom. And then he calls us to walk in harmony. And he says, in essence, here in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21, I have a role for you all. Every one of you. Married, single, children, parent, employee, employer. I have a mission for you. And I want to know. If you'll place yourself under my mission. If you will present yourself to me in submission. 
In Ephesians 5.21, he, he lays out for us this, this phrase. He says, submitting to one another in the fear of God. Placing yourself under the mission that God has for you. Being focused on that mission that God wants to work in our lives. He, he wants to do something in my life. He wants to do something in your life. He's got a path for you to walk. He's got a path for me to walk. He's got a role for me to fulfill, a picture that he wants me to present. It's not that uncommon an idea. You guys remember Moses, right? Moses, as he's leading the children of Israel, the Lord says to him, at one time, he says, Moses, I want you to go strike the rock, and from the rock, water will flow. And so, Moses goes to the rock, and he strikes that rock, and water flows out. Later on, the Lord says to Moses, Moses, I want you to go speak to the rock. Now Moses was upset. He was angry at the children of Israel. And he went to the rock and he said, must I give you water from this rock? And he takes his rod and he smote the rock a second time. And God said to Moses, because you misrepresented me, And you didn't fulfill the picture I was having you fulfill. You're not going to enter into the promised land. Well, the promised land, folks, doesn't speak of salvation. It speaks of that ultimate victory. That ultimate victory in our walk with Christ. The abundant life. the, The everything that we always wanted things to be in our life. And so he wasn't able to go because he didn't fulfill the picture. What was the picture? The Bible tells us the rock is Christ. And he was smitten one time for all men. That Jesus would be able to say, if you thirst, come unto me and I will give you drink. And what do you have to do? Do you have to beat him a second time? All you have to do is ask. But Moses broke the type. In different areas of our life, guys, God is presenting a picture. He's presenting a picture, a type, a role, a thing that he wants us to do. If for no other reason than because he has asked us to do it. Just as he asked Moses. And I think the reason why a lot of us don't enter into The abundant life that we can have in Christ is because we will look at it and say, God, I think you got this one wrong. I'm not sure what you were thinking here. In every respect and in in, in every relationship, guys, in every relationship within the family, in every relationship that you're going to experience, God has a role he wants you to play. Every single one. How many here are children? Think about it for a moment, because last I checked, we were all born. (laughs) How many of us are parents? A few. Maybe more than a few. How many of us are married? A few. How many of us are single? It's all the same. God has a role in each one of those places that he wants you to play, that he lays out for you. And it begins with this phrase in Ephesians 5.21. Therefore, submit yourselves one to another fulfill the mission that god's given you in your perspective sphere of influence fulfill the mission place yourself under the mission that god has for you 
And the reason he calls us to do it, he lays out for us right there for the in uh, do submitting to one another in the fear of God. Now, the word for the fear of God, it speaks of reverence to God. Another way of looking at reverence to God is respect. Out of respect to your Lord and Savior. Are we willing to present ourselves that crazy idea that God really knows what he's doing and that God really has a purpose and that God has an image that he's painting and that we get to be a part of that image? Can we present ourselves with that concept, the willingness to place ourselves under rank in the mission that God has laid out for us? Hey, this is not an unusual concept, and Jesus is not calling us to do something he didn't do, is he? Luke chapter 2 verse 51 tells us that then he went down with them and came to Nazareth, speaking of Jesus, and was subject to them. But his mother kept all these things in her heart. It says Jesus was subject to his parents. Oh, you remember the story, right? It should fill your heart with dread as a parent. If you would put yourselves in Mary and Joseph's place. Mary and Joseph, you know, Mary visited by an angel. You're going to give birth to the Messiah. God in the flesh, Emmanuel, God with us. You're going to give, and it's going to be your charge, Mary, to take care of the Christ child. And Moses, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife because the child that she bears is of the Holy Spirit. This is Almighty God come. You have a responsibility as father, as husband, to raise up this Christ child. And then one day, a couple days journey away from Jerusalem, It's not like today where you just got in your car and forgot your kids. Drove home and said, oh, I got to go back to church. I left them there. It's not like that. Two days down the road. Hey, Mary, where's Jesus? I thought he was with you. He's not with me. I thought he was with you. Oh, you're kidding me. Did we just lose the Messiah? What, do, you, do you stop and say, let's pray? I don't know if I want to tell God we lost his son. <laughs> so they go back to Jerusalem. They find Jesus in the temple, right? Blowing away people with the knowledge of the word. Which shouldn't be shocking because John 1.1 says, In the beginning, the word was with God and the word was God. Jesus Christ is God the Word. So it's not surprising that he knows a lot about the Word. Because it's him. And he's amazing the priests and the prophets and all those who are gathered around. They want to hear him. And he's blowing them away as he's going through the scripture. And and then Mary and Joseph come in and they're, they're a little bit freaked out, right? And they're like, hey, 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 where have you been? You're supposed to be with us. You know, I thought that the, the Messiah was never supposed to mess up. You're supposed to be with us. What did Jesus say? Didn't you know I must be about my father's business? But he subjected himself to them. And he went with them to Nazareth. And he grew up mighty in the Lord. 
If there's ever a person who could ever say, I got no business having to submit, it would have been Jesus to his parents, wouldn't it? But the scripture tells us what? He did it. He did it. Jesus chose to submit to his parents. Well, in Luke chapter 10, verse 17, we see the disciples sent out. They're sent out into into the land to to preach. And they're able to do these incredible things. In Luke chapter 10, verse 17, it says that these 70 return with joy. And they say, Lord, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. Even the demons submit. Jesus said, you know, don't, don't glory in the fact that the demons submit to your name. Don't glory in that. I saw Satan fall from the heavens. Jesus said, I was there at the fall. When Satan made the choices he made. Sometimes submission is forced. To demons, submission is forced. You remember the demons that were in the Gadarean demoniac? They're there and, and, and uh, Jesus comes up to them and says, Hey, what's your name? And they say, Legion. For, I don't know if they had a voice like that. <laughs> That's how they always do that kind of stuff in the movies, right? They never have a, a little sissy voice, right? Legion. Because <laughs> we're many. Who knows what they sound like? We just, we just tend to want to make them sound tough. But nonetheless, <clears throat> Jesus, they said, Lord, Lord, don't cast us into the abuso. They had to do whatever Jesus said, right? Just let us go into those pigs. Knock yourself out, brother. They went into pigs and all ran off a cliff. Interesting story, isn't it? Interesting. Might as well have been sent to the Abuso, huh? As being a pig and run off a cliff. Not sure. Not sure what Legion was thinking when he did that. But nonetheless, we see submission of the demons. In Romans 13.1, it says, Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. He says, for citizens to submit to their government. Well, that applies to submit to the government, because there's nobody in control except appointed by God. David understood that. That's why he wouldn't try to overthrow Saul by force. He said, Saul's God's anointed. When God wants to move him, I'll step in. Until then, I'm not going to do a thing. David, the anointed king, lived his life in submission to Saul until God moved Saul out of the way and David would become king. A lot of times we get excited when we get a Christian leader, right? A Christian president, you know, rather than a a Muslim president would be pretty cool. Did I just say that out loud? It slipped. I'm not sure I actually meant that. But we think, oh, and we want to pray for godly leadership, don't we? But more than we need godly leadership, we need godly leadership 
in the home. Because the nation, it's going to rise and fall based on the family. Rome taught us that. How is the family put together? Is the family submitted unto God? Are they fulfilling the roles that God lays out for them one to another? Are they willing to be who God's calling them to be? Just because God says, this is what I want for your life. Because Jesus loves the church, because he loves you and I, he gives us the choice to submit. Same choice Moses had, right? To be obedient to what God's word was calling him to do. To be obedient in all of that. To consider, this is what the Lord has laid out for me. And I'm going to do what God's laid out for me. But sometimes I want to do for myself. Sometimes I want to think about what's right for me. Sometimes I want to do what makes me happy. Right? That's the way Moses felt. But God would have us feel a different way. Turn with me to Philippians chapter 2. In Philippians chapter 2, it's just like two pages to the right. So you you don't have to go very far. Philippians chapter 2, this is what he says. In verse 3, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but rather in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Just in case you were thinking, well, I'm not sure that that applies to me. Let's try it again. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. That means that we're called of God as my Lord and Savior to think about how something affects others before I think about how it affects me. Does that sound like anybody else you know? First, first John chapter 3, he lays out for us, if any would walk, say that they abide in Christ, they ought also to walk out as he walked. Did, was Jesus' primary concern his own need? His own being tired when people wanted ministered to? His own hunger? His own... Anything? Let each of you esteem others greater than himself. Think about others first. Folks, we haven't even got into the different roles within the family. We're just talking about what the Lord lays out in this concept. This, I, I like this phrase now uh, that I read recently in a book. This furious longing of God. That God has such an incredible, insane plan for our lives and a work that he wants to work in our lives that he lays out for us you want to experience that here's the blueprint here's how to walk here's how to do it here's how to make it happen jesus said to the disciples didn't he this is how they're going to know you're my disciples by your love one for another huh and he tells us over and over again how to do that he lays out for us in philippians chapter 2 verse 3 Esteem others better than yourself. Every time 
Kathy and I have a disagreement. It is because I am esteeming myself better than her. Guys, we're about to get to verses that don't allow us to do that. Ever. Ever. Is Jesus Lord? Am I willing to say, but God, that, you know, Lord, in this day and time, we kind of live for ourselves. And we kind of do the things that make us happy. And in fact, Lord, if I went to a, a psychiatrist or psychologist, he would tell me to make myself happy, that that should be my focus, to be happy with me. And God would say, don't worry about being happy with you. You live to make others happy. Huh? But what about me? What about me? Well, he's got an answer for that, doesn't he? You must die to yourself and live unto God. Die to me. I'm not sure the Lord knew what he was saying when he was telling us to do that. I mean, yeah. I'm not sure I like the concept. I'm not sure I'm down with that whole deal, Lord. I don't know. Let me give you guys, I want to paint you guys a beautiful picture of submission. And and hopefully this picture of submission is going to follow each of us because the Lord's calling us all to this concept. In uh, 1 Chronicles 29, if you guys want to flip there with me real quick, you can. 1 Chronicles 29, just verse 23 and 24. But here's, I'm, let, me, let me set the, the table for you. David's an old guy. He's about ready to cease being king. And his son, Solomon, is taken over. Solomon is taken over. Now, before we get the picture that Solomon's like 30 and he's got his act together, let's back that up. Solomon's 12 or 8. I always get Solomon and Josiah mixed up. Josiah's 8, so Solomon's 12. See, that's how I figured that out. Now you guys will do the same thing in your mind. Solomon, 12 years old. 12 years old, becoming king. Now, for those of you who are parents, think of your 12-year-old. Think of leaning over to him or her and saying, you know what? Today you're going to be king. (laughs) Whatever. Man, that's insane. That's the craziest thing I ever heard of. Well, the Bible says I have to be in submission to the authority. Put a 12-year-old in. The, um, are you going to be in submission to a 12-year-old? Listen to what a 12-year-old says? Watching Power Rangers 24-7? I don't know. Is that even on anymore? <laughs> 12-year-old coming to, coming to rule. First Chronicles 29 Verse 23 and 24. Then Solomon sat on the throne of the Lord as king instead of David his father. And he prospered and all of Israel obeyed him. What did that say? See, sometimes we read the Bible and we forget about the craziness. Twelve-year-old sat on the throne and all of Israel obeyed him? What's going on? All the leaders and the mighty men and also all the sons of King David submitted themselves to King Solomon. 
Even though Solomon's young and unproven, they voluntarily devoted their strength and their gifts to David's son because of their love for David and their willingness to trust Solomon as God's anointed. Because they loved David and they trusted God. They submitted to a 12-year-old. And by the way, it worked out pretty good. It was, many argue, the height of the, of the time of Israel. The height. The best they ever were. Most, they had so much gold and silver, the Bible says they stopped counting it. When's the last time you stopped checking your, your checking account? You just said, oh, there's so much in there. <laughs> I don't ever need to count that again. Been a long time. That's how it was under Solomon's reign. And they willingly submitted themselves. So as we look, we're going to finish out chapter 5. You say, there's no way. Yeah, no, really, we are. We're going to make it. We're going to finish out chapter 5. And here's what we want to see. God asks this of each and every one of us. Each and every one of us. And he's got a plan or design, a mission that we're supposed to fulfill in every role. And he wants to know, am I your Lord or not? Will you obey the mission that God has laid out for you, even as these men chose to obey what God had laid out for them? The relationships that he's going to cover here in the end of chapter 5 and the beginning of chapter 6 cover all the relationships we're going to see in life. We're going to see husband and wife, parents and children, employees or employers and employees, all, every one of them. And it's not about the order of authority and who is in charge, but it's all about how to walk in harmony according to God's plan. How we can walk in harmony. You remember how many times Paul has laid out for us that the body of Christ is like a human body and each part needs to do its part, needs to fulfill its role so that the body is healthy? It's the same way. The body of Christ... It's the same way in our relationships. We want to experience all that God has for us, all that God plans for us. So what is the mission that God has for us? I want you to consider this phrase, this verse. Consider this. Come out from among them and be ye holy. Be holy, set apart, different from them. Set apart from the world to God. When I think about that phrase, when I think about holiness, I also think about holiness. Like whole being W-H-O-L-I-N-E-S-S, whatever. Holiness. Being whole, complete. Or what about this? Being wholly given to the Lord. Come out from among them and be ye Holy mine. Be completely mine, utterly mine in every way. So he begins in verse 22, every man's favorite verse in the Bible. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, 
Just as a church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. The first relationship he lays out for us, the first order, the first role that God has for wives toward their husbands. He says, here's, here's what I want from you. And there's a, a hundred churches that will take this and twist it all around to be all kind of weird different things other than what it says. It means what it says. That's the amazing thing about God's word. What does he mean, submit? He means submit. Funny how that is, huh? He means submit. And he lays out for us a couple of different reasons. The first reason is the lordship of Christ. The first reason is the lordship of Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Why do we do it? Has nothing to do with the worth or value of your husband. Though he may be worthy and he may not be. Has nothing to do with that. Has everything to do with whether or not the Lord Jesus Christ is worthy. Whether or not the Lord Jesus Christ is right. Whether or not he is the Lord. Because this is God's design. And he's going to explain it to us because just like Moses, it's a picture. What's the picture? He refers to a husband and wife being an example of Christ and the church. That the relationship between a husband and wife should provide a picture, an image of the relationship between Christ and the church. He's laid out for us his design. He is the designer and he has a plan. So the first thing he lays out for us is that concept. As unto the Lord. Literally, the concept is that this is an act of worship unto God. It is my motive. The motive behind doing this, behind placing yourself under the mission of God, is to say, I'm doing this as unto the Lord. By doing this, I'm doing what God's calling me to do. I'm fulfilling God's plan. I'm fulfilling God's purpose. He gives us another reason. He says, because the husband is head of the wife, as also Christ is head of the church. And he is the savior of the body. Now, before we can twist this up, he makes it pretty clear to us that the husband is head like Christ is the head of the church. That's the definition. That's the example. Now, before you get bent Let me just tell you, as a guy, I'm not all that stoked about it either. I'm just being honest with you. I'm not all that stoked about being the head. And maybe there's a lot of women out there saying, well, by golly, I'd like, I'll be the head. I know. All I know is I understand what that job entails, and it scares me. If it doesn't scare you, it should. I'm supposed to be responsible, think about this, men, as head of. I'm supposed to be responsible for my wife, my family, like Christ is responsible for the church. That's insane. Think about it, that's crazy. And before you raise up your hand and say, oh, I want to be responsible, I want to be responsible. Really? 
You want to stand before God and give answer for your family, for, for where they are, like Christ is going to give answer for me when I stand before God, this, this frail, messed up sinner that I am, and, and God looks at me with that, those eyes of the flame of fire that burn right through my soul, knows everything I wrong I ever did. And Jesus is my covering. He makes me clean. And that the Lord says the picture in a marriage should be that that's what a husband is to his wife. Man. So when the Lord lays out for, for us here, ladies, when he says, submit to your own husband, it's respecting that position of responsibility and authority. Respecting the position, the picture that God is painting out. Respecting that place. There's a couple things we ought to think of, ladies. That should mean, if the Bible says I need to submit, I better think about who I'm marrying. Shouldn't I? Should I think about the relationship I'm putting myself in? Can I submit to this person? No? Might want to rethink your plans. But you don't understand, Jackie, I'm already married. And you already made your choice. (laughs) You did. He says, I want you to submit. Why? Because of the lordship of Jesus Christ. Why else? Because of the headship of man. That he was chosen from the beginning to form a picture between Christ and the church. What is that picture? The willingness to serve and sacrifice. Hey, I don't have any problem submitting to Jesus Christ. None. Because of what he did to serve me and because of the sacrifice that he made. And he says to us, ladies, there's a picture in your marriage of that relationship. And the picture is your husband. Jackie, have you seen my husband? He does not look anything like that. He does not look anything like Jesus. He doesn't act anything like Jesus. Man, I don't know. There's got to be a special verse for me. Guess what? There is. Aren't you happy? You might not be after I read the verse. But for right now, you can be happy. My husband doesn't act like Christ. Well, 1 Peter chapter 3 has something to say. 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. It actually it parallels the passage we're in right now. We won't read it all. We're just going to look at verse 1 and 2. It says in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 1 and 2, Wives, likewise be submissive to your own husbands, that even if some of them do not obey the word, they, without a word, may be won by the conduct of their wives. When they observe your chaste conduct accompanied with fear. It says, even if your husband is disobedient to the word. Now that could mean he's an unbeliever or a believer who just is not submitted to the Lord. He says, in that case you don't have to be submissive, right? I don't think that's what he said. He said, no. He said, be submissive without a word. Now, there was a few years 
in our marriage that my wife was obedient to the word. And her husband was a dirtbag. And I love my wife. And she's amazing. I don't know how well she did on the without a word part. <clears throat> there seem to be lots of words involved in the whole deal. Lots of words. But what does God say? God says, am I your Lord? Am I your Lord? You don't need to say anything. You just submit as unto me. You do it for me. Because you love me. And you won't have to say a word. You won't have to say a thing. Yeah, but I want to. Well, sometimes when we want to do things that God says we don't need to do, we slow down the process a little bit. What God wants to do. Without a word, by your chaste conduct, that word chaste conduct means by your modesty, by how you present yourself to the Lord as a tool in the master's hand to be used by him. With modesty and accompanied with fear. The fear speaks of reverence or a big word for your husband, respect. By your chaste conduct and your respect, He may be won. He may be turned. But the Lord doesn't lift you from that responsibility. He doesn't say that doesn't apply to you. He says still, to be obedient to what God's word lays out and fulfill that role. Respecting the headship of your husband. Now, before we leave this concept of of headship and submission, guys, we got to get this worked out. Because sometimes when we think about headship, we think, I'm your head. So you must take orders from me and do whatever I want. That's not biblical headship. That's worldly headship. But it's not biblical headship. Sometimes we think, you must submit to me, so here are the things I want you to do for me. Yeah, that sounds like a good idea, right? Unfortunately, that's not God's idea. Remember, he gave us the definition. Who's our example, men? Jesus Christ and what he did for us. Oh, that changes everything. What is the definition of godly headship? I am your head, so I must care for you and serve you. I am accountable before God for you. That's sobering thought. And that's a role that a lot of men say, I don't want it, forget it. I'll just let her do it. We don't get that option, man. God wants us to fulfill that role. Think about how things started in the beginning. God created them, male and female, he created them. Adam and Eve. Eve taken from Adam's side, they were part of one another, right? This is now flesh of my flesh and bone of my bone. She is woman, for she was taken out of man. And he's blown away at the beauty and the majesty. And even from that moment, God says, here's the picture, guys. And then we see Adam being like every other man and Eve being like many other women. Eve living independently is deceived. 
and leads Adam knowingly into sin. Knowingly on Adam's part. Adam knew what he was doing. He knew what he was doing was disobedient. So from the beginning, Satan twists the roles. Adam, you're supposed to be her covering. Where were you when, the, when the, Satan was deceiving her? Where were you? You're her protection. You're her covering. Just like Christ for the church. Right? Fulfilling those roles. From the beginning they were twisted, but God would see them done right. How are they done right? In Christ. I don't know if I can do this, Jackie. I don't know if I can fulfill this. I don't know, I don't know if I can do what God's calling me to do. You can't. That's why you got to read all of chapter 5. Because in chapter 5, verse 18, he says, oh, Be ye being filled with the Holy Spirit. How are you going to walk in harmony? How are you going to fulfill the mission that God has laid out for you? By walking in the Spirit, fully, completely submitted unto Him. Being empowered by the Lord Jesus Christ. Being empowered by His Spirit. So that I can love the way I need to love. So that I can place myself under the mission that God's given me as a man to fulfill. The only way I can do it is in the spirit. I can't do it in the flesh. Wives, the only way you can do it is in the spirit. You can't do it in the flesh. Children, the only way you can do it is in the spirit. You can't do it according to the flesh. Parents, the only way you can do it is in the spirit. Not according to the flesh. Employees and employers, it's the same. You see, I can't just be partially committed and walk a life of victory. I can't do it. It's all or nothing. It's all or nothing. God wants it all. He wants us to lay all of it down, lay all of it at his feet. Give him all. So wives, the good news is your three verses are finished. Husband, your eight are only beginning. Husbands, love your wives. Wouldn't it be great if it just stopped there? Because guys would be able to say, well, I love my wife. But then he clarifies, love her how? And that changes everything. Husbands, love your wives as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. There are four aspects of the love that God calls us to. This word, by the way, is the word agapao, agape. It's agape love. Oftentimes described as the love of God, but that's not wholly accurate. The, the, the love of God, it's, it's more like a self-sacrificing, self-denying love that loves for the sake of love without expecting anything in return. It's the love of 1 Corinthians chapter 13. You want to take a test to see how well you're doing? Just put your name in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, wherever love is. See how long you last before you go, oh, that doesn't sound like me. That's what we'll know. Husbands, love your wives. What's the first definition, the first concept of love? Love your wives sacrificially sacrificially, as Christ gave himself for the church, so give yourself to your wife. By the way, Christ loved the church before she was lovely. And she becomes lovely because Christ 
loves the church. It's irrespective of, of anything on her part. It loves for the sake of loving. It gives for the sake of giving. Spurgeon had a nice quote in regard to this sacrificial love. He says, I ask you to notice what is not always the case with regard to the husband and the wife. That the Lord Jesus loves his church unselfishly. That is to say, he never loved her for what she has, but what she is. Nay, I must go further than that and say that he loved her not so much for what she is, but what he makes her as the object of his love. He loves her not for what comes to him from her or with her, but for what he is able to bestow upon her. His is the strongest love that ever was. Husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. Giving ourselves away. We're called to love sacrificially. Then he goes on and he says that he might sanctify and cleanse her with a washing of water by the word. Washing of water by the word. Next type of love is defined as a sanctifying type of love. Sanctifying love. And sanctifying love is defined for us in this very phrase. What is that sanctifying work that God does within us? He cleanses us and washes us clean. Husbands. Is your wife more like Christ because of you or in spite of you? The love that you have is to be a sanctifying love. A love that cleanses her. A love that washes her by the water of the word. And interesting enough, when you look at that phrase, washing of the water of the word, the word is the word rima, not logos. It's not the written word. It's the spoken word. Wash her with the water of the word that you speak to her. That you cleanse her as you share the things God is doing in your life. How God's word is speaking to you. Do you know, man, I can't take my wife somewhere I've not been. I can't sanctify my wife. I can't take her to the presence of God if I'm not spending time there. Neither can you take your children there or your family there if you're not spending time there yourself. You don't know how to get there. You get there by spending time. You guys ever heard of that goofy phrase, quality time? That is the dumbest thing I ever heard of. You know what I mean? I'll tell you what I mean. How do you have quality time? Simple. Have quantity time. The more quantity time you have, the more quality time you'll have. You mean I'm just supposed to out the side of my head say, today I'm going to have quality time. How are you going to have quality time? Do you practice taking time, making time, having time, spending time with one another? If I spend a lot of time together with my wife... Some of that time is going to be quality time. Some of that time may not be so good, but I'm learning how to do it. And I can't learn how to do it just by saying, well, honey, today at 3 o'clock we're going to have quality time. 
She's going to say, quality time. And I have no idea what I'm supposed to do after that. I'm going to have quality. I, I'm just going to show up. See what happens. Sometimes it may work out good. Sometimes not so good. I need the quantity. I need to spend time. If I want to have quality time with the Lord, what do I got to do? I got to spend time with the Lord. A lot of time with the Lord. If I want to have quality time with my wife, what do I got to do? I got to spend quality time, lots of time with my wife so that we have quality time. I need to have a sanctifying love that makes her relationship with Christ better because she is with me. Sanctifying love. He calls us for sacrificial love, for sanctifying love. And even as he talks about the sanctifying love, this is how sanctifying love presents the object of the love. That he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. How do you present your wife? Do you present her holy and without blemish? When you stand before God, how do you want Jesus to present you? Lord, this is that dirt bag. I don't know how he got here. And he don't never listen to a word I say. I try to tell him what to do, but he just does his own thing. All Is that how you want Jesus to present you to Father? The Bible tells us how he's going to do it. Without blame, without spot, without wrinkle. Why? Because he clothes me with his righteousness. The Bible says love covers a multitude of sin. My responsibility as head of my family is to cover my wife so that she is without spot. I have no business presenting my wife to the world as anything other than perfect. I cover her. I cover her faults. I don't shout her faults from the mountaintops. When I was young, I, we used to think it was a lot of fun to run each other down, you know. And sometimes we still do it. Sometimes I still fall into that trap. But God says... Jesus will present you, Jackie, faultless, spotless, without wrinkle. So have sanctifying love for your wife. And in your eyes, she might be faultless, spotless, without wrinkle. That's an intense kind of love, isn't it, guys? That's an intense love that chooses not to see. But that's the kind of love... Jesus has for me, right? Because I'm a sinner still today. But he says, I see you clean, washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. Isn't my wife washed in that same blood? Doesn't she receive the same forgiveness? So in Christ, she's spotless. Present her without spot or wrinkle. Then he says, so husbands, in verse 28, so husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. And guys think, what? don't really love my body. Baloney. Do you know that they did an experiment one time? They put a mirror in downtown L.A. 
just on the sidewalk. You know what they discovered when they put that mirror in downtown L.A.? People like to look at themselves. You know the other thing they discovered? More guys looked at the mirror than girls. What do you mean? Are you kidding? A guy has an opportunity to look in a mirror and think, how's that bicep looking? Oh, yeah, not too bad. (laughs) Just because we look in a mirror different than girls, you look at me and you might say, you know, Jackie, you look a lot like Buddha. (laughs) But I would say, hey, I I can change that in a second. Suck in, push out there, and boom, I'm Atlas again. <laughs> and just to prove how close I am to Atlas, when I walk by a mirror, I might do it. <sighs> oh, yeah. Oh. <laughs> I'm not that far away. I could be there again. And we walk away. <laughs> what can I say? Probably nothing. The point, guys, the point here is even more than that. The point here is that we are one. When I love my wife, she's an extension of me. She's part of me. I'm to love her because she is a part of me. That's what he means when he says love her as your own body. And this kind of love, it's satisfying love because that things that I pour out on my wife, the way I love her, the way I shower her, the way I make sure that she's kept clean and without wrinkle and without spot and I encourage her in her relationship with Jesus Christ. When I fulfill all those things, when I do to her, I'm doing to me. Do you know that? So what I'm trying to do and help her also satisfies a need within me satisfying kind of love it meets both of our needs so husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies for no one ever hated his own flesh but nourishes and cherishes it just as the lord does the church men our role nourish cherish your wife because that's how christ treats us nourishing and cherishing is jesus your lord I can't do these things. I tried once and it didn't work out. I don't see that here anywhere. Try it. If you like it, stick with it. If you don't, stop. I don't see it. He says, do. Listen, God never calls us to do something he doesn't equip us to do. Do you understand that? God's calling is his equipping Wives, if he says submit, he'll equip you to do it. Men, if he says be the head, take that role, nourish and cherish your wife, he'll, he'll equip you to do it. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and, the, and, and shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. What happens in this? God joins two together. God puts them together. Man's not supposed to separate them because you can't just separate them clean. Parts of each other are passed in the tearing apart of lives. That's why God says he hates divorce. He, he wants us to realize that he joins them together and they are one flesh. So this reason man, Adam, shall leave his father and mother. Leave all other relationships and cling unto your spouse. That's the most important relationship you have. That means if your little Day out with the guys is more important than the time with your wife. You're out of balance and you're walking in sin. 
If your time with the girls is more important than your time with your husband, you're out of balance and in sin. Leave all other relationships and cling to him. Be joined together and the two become one flesh. It's permanent and it's a process. They become. It's not instant. I thought it was instant. I did. I thought I'm the hunter and Kathy was the prey. And I saw her on that day, and I got her in my sights, and I'm, I will have her as my very own. And I succeeded. She bought all the stuff I said. <laughs> she believed it all. And then the day when we got married, and we said, I do, I do, I, I was really saying, and I did. <laughs> I won, I did. And then there was this whole thing after that. You see, marriage doesn't end at the ceremony. The two become one. It's a process. Constantly pouring into one another to become everything that God wants us to be. This is a great mystery, a picture. But I speak concerning Christ in the church. The picture in a relationship, in a marital relationship, husband and wife, is an image. It's a picture. Just like the rock. If I want to experience victory with the Lord Jesus Christ, I must receive Him as my Lord and Savior. I have to accept that this is a role that I am supposed to accept, that God equips me to do, and that I can only do in utter and total and complete reliance upon Him. Not by just giving Him a part of my life, but by giving Him all my life. Surrendering my will to His, He does the work. He makes it happen. He fulfills that picture. Both sides. Husband and wife. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself and see, let the wife see that she respects her husband. Breaks it down to one rule. I love that the one rule thing. Love and respect. That's what God calls us. Now listen guys, this is part one in walking in harmony. We haven't even got to the kids yet. And by the way, how many of us were kids? Yeah, all of us. All of us have a responsibility to our parents. And all of us who are parents have a responsibility to our children and roles to fulfill and all those things. So God lays it out for us. Listen, in light of all the wealth and things that I poured out in your life, will you walk in unity? Will you walk in love? Will you walk in purity? Will you walk in harmony? Will you complete the picture Will you step out from among everybody else's marriage in the way everybody else's marriage is and make your marriage holy unto God? For there you will find perfect harmony. In Him is everything you need. Amen? Amen. Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we do thank you for this time that we could spend and an opportunity, Lord God, just to to consider this relationship, husband and wives, and, and the fact that you have a role, a role of submission that you call each of us to submit to one another. Lord God, I pray that we would all, as we come before you, Lord, not only receive you as our Savior, but as our Lord. 
that you have a plan, a purpose, a design that you're accomplishing in my life. That you want to do an incredible work. And in that, part of that incredible work is me saying, Lord, I will obey you. Though I understand, I don't understand, I will trust you. I'll trust that you know what you're doing. Lord God, give us a heart that says, I want to walk in harmony with God's plan and purpose for my family. For Lord, our world is upside down. And if we want to see revival, it will begin in our families. It will begin in the smallest point, not in our states, not in our towns. It will begin in our homes. As we say, Lord, forgive me that I've made excuses why I don't have to be the man or woman I need to be. Your word says that you will equip me. That your spirit will enable me to walk what you have called me to walk. I don't want to make excuses anymore. I want to be real, committed. As we see ourselves in the days that your word spoke of, wars and rumors of war, earthquakes, pestilence, famine, When you see these things take place, lift up your eyes, for your redemption draws near. Wake up, you who sleep. Redeem the time, for now your salvation is nearer than when you first believed. I don't know how much time I have, Lord, and you don't guarantee me tomorrow. Teach me to redeem the time. And be who you've called me to be today. I want to be what you want me to be today. Because in you, everything comes together. Lord, we pray that you would move in a mighty way among our families as we give you all the praise and the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.